0: Good morning. Welcome to Discovery's Digital Gathering. We are glad you're here. We are excited for what God has in store this morning. We want to invite you to download our app, which will help you stay current with our community and get further connected by filling out our new visitor card. Let's prepare our hearts for worship and for the adventure of discovering the good news of Jesus together. All right, meet me in Acts chapter 11 as we continue our journey through the book of Acts, these wonderful stories about the first church and what God did after Jesus ascended to heaven and building his church, this movement that would change the world, that would upend the Roman Empire and change the course of history, this legacy that we are still a part of, right? Discovery, what that first church did. We have had such a great time in these stories. We continue today in Acts chapter 11. Again, I want you to meet me there. As you're finding that, I want to give you a couple of, uh, of updates about different things. This week we were able to drop off over 60 backpacks at Montgomery Elementary School. Uh, our, uh, over the past several years, we've been able to get anywhere from about 35 to 45 backpacks. Remember last year, our big goal was to break 50, and I think we got like 51 uh, or, or something like that, just across that, that record number. And then this year, over 60 backpacks, um, which is incredible and also really, really good news because f- uh, for whatever reason, the school this year has gotten more requests... Uh, Their list of of students that need backpacks and school supplies is as long as it has ever been. And so they are so grateful that we were able to go even above and beyond what we normally do. So well done, Discovery. Thank you for your generosity in helping uh, Marguerite Montgomery students get off to uh, a great start this year. Hey, we are making a lot of progress on our search for an associate pastor, and we are excited to to update you on on that here uh, as soon as possible. But I just want to invite you to continue praying. Thank you for the ways that you've been involved in prayer in this search. We have some great, great candidates. I'm actually just uh, amazed and humbled at the people who applied uh, for this position. And again, we hope to make an announcement very soon about who that uh, that a new staff person will be, and then last update. Um, so we're meeting today digitally, and of course at the park. Next week is church in the park, no worship gathering. We get to hang out, have a picnic, enjoy being with with each other. September fourth or fifth, sorry, will be our last. Uh, in the park gathering and digital gathering. And then September 12th, we are back in the Brunel Theater. And this is a beautiful thing. We're very excited about that. But we also know that there's, you know, different... Uh, challenges with that. There's there's different even feelings about getting back indoors, and we're open to your feedback on that, and we're going to do some things to, again, continue to creatively involve as many people as possible, both in the gathering, but if you're not able to make it, if you're not comfortable meeting indoors yet, that's fine. We're still going to include you in what's going on here at discovery but want to invite you to be praying for that thinking about that reopening. September 4th, which is a Saturday we're going to have our work party to so get ready for that. If you could join us at 9 a.m at the Brunel theater that would be awesome. All right, Acts chapter 11, let me pray for our time in Scripture this morning. Heavenly Father, we ask now in the middle of what has been just an insane week in our worlds. Countries literally falling, nations, as we read in that psalm, falling. Earthquakes, wildfires, the continued pandemic, numbers going up, nervousness about going back to school. All these anxieties, fears, God, just from our, our, our world that we live in, let alone the individual circumstances of our lives, with our kids, our jobs, our schoolwork, whatever it might be. God, we bring a lot into this moment. And so as a step of faith, we, we take all that, we hand it over to you. God, we ask that you would hold it for us so that we're free, that we're open, that we're available, that our, our ears are in tune with your voice, with your spirit moving, so that we can receive from you today. We can hear Uh, Your voice speaking to us, uh, inviting us into grace and peace and joy and faithfulness and love. We can hear your voice encouraging us, challenging us in whatever way we need to be spoken to this morning. God, we invite your presence into this time. Would you use it to accomplish your will? We pray this again in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. All right, Diedrich Bonhoeffer, the great, uh, very influential German theologian, once wrote these words about community. He says, those who love their dream, their dream of a Christian community more than they love the community itself become destroyers. So those who love their dream more than the actual people in the community become destroyers of that Christian community, even though their personal intentions might be honest, earnest, and sacrificial. If you were with us last week, this should sound familiar, right? This is that loving our preferences more than the people that we are with. Those who love their dream of a Christian community more than they love the community itself can actually destroy that community. I my sort of summary of that would be we all want community until we get it. <laughs> we all want community until we get it. For example, we may want to be a part of a very diverse community, right? People of different socioeconomic or ethnic backgrounds, different political views, even different theological convictions. And we can all, you know, come together and learn from each other. That sounds really great until we're actually in a situation where we're confronted with those differences. And then it's awkward, we're not, we don't feel like we connect with people and there can even be pain as those differences become noticeable. We all want a diverse community until we're actually in a diverse community. The other side of this scenario is we have this desire as well, right? For a community that's unified, where we're all like moving together in the same direction, pursuing this common goal or or mission that sounds so great until the moment when it begins to feel rigid, right? Our, our, Our good old American rugged individualism starts to come out. We want to do our own thing, not what everyone else is doing. We all want a unified community until we're actually in one. Diversity gets messy. Unity can feel stifling. Our dream can destroy the community. And so what a lot of, what a lot of people do is, is take their ball and go home, right? Or they go looking for the next place, hoping that they'll get more of what they want there or less of what they didn't like, right? What they just experienced. And the cycle just keeps repeating. We're in the book of Acts. We continue this conversation we're calling Ecclesia. In our English Bible is the full title of the book is The Acts of the Apostles. My hope though by now is that we see that we understand that the title of this book really should be The Acts of the Holy Spirit. It's the Spirit who is the true star of the show. And this is really, really good news for a whole bunch of reasons. But especially when it comes to this this idea of our desires, our dreams for community. We want really good things. We dream for really good things for the communities that we're a part of, for diversity, for unity, for mission, purpose. All of that is great, but it's also not on us to manufacture that. As Bonhoeffer goes on to say, the rest of that quote, it's the Spirit who builds. We participate, we gather, we confess, we take communion, we serve our neighbors, we read Scripture, but it's the Spirit who builds the church. And again, this is really, really good news. We come to these stories then. We come to these stories to have our imaginations formed. For what the church was back then in the first century, what the church is, where the church could be here in Davis. We come to submit to the Spirit as the Spirit does the work of building the church, building our ecclesia. So Acts chapter 11, as we continue the story along, we have four very interesting scenes to look at today. And they might seem a bit disconnected, but they're all going to come together for us, I think, here uh, as we move through this the first story has a very very direct connection to where we were last week right that story about peter uh the jew right and cornelius the gentile who have these separate visions god is clearly speaking to them and at work in their lives the holy spirit brings them together and this incredible moment in the, in the big arc of the Acts story, right? The Gentiles receive the gift of salvation and the Holy Spirit. It's this big aha moment for Peter. Again, a big hinge moment in the story of Acts and as the good news of Jesus makes the jump from a primarily Jewish audience to now the Gentile world, from Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria now getting into the ends of the earth, just like Jesus said it would back in Acts chapter 1. Right, this is the mission that he sent them on. It is now actually happening, but like any big transition, there's a tension with that, right? So look at look at the beginning of chapter 11. Word of this news gets out, right? That the Gentiles have received the Spirit, are getting baptized, are now included in the ecclesia, and some people are not happy about it. Verse two, the circumcised believers criticized Peter and said, "You went to the house." of uncircumcised men, and you ate with them. How dare you? Now, for a moment here, a little bit of grace for the critics, right? They don't know the whole story. They don't know all the context. They just see Peter doing a very controversial, unconventional thing, and they freak out. And remember, Peter himself freaked out last week too. Like, what, are, what is happening here? What are you asking me to do? So we need to give them a little bit of grace. They don't have the full picture yet. However, there's also a very, very important warning for us in this story. There is this tendency for those of us who have been in church for a while, there's a tendency for people who grow established and comfortable in church to move into a very reflexive position of critic. We see this all throughout the Gospels, the stories of Jesus, As he interacts with people, we see it in Acts multiple times, especially around this issue of Gentile inclusion. We see it later in the New Testament in the letters that people like Peter and Paul and James will write to the early churches. We see it over and over again in our lives, in our experiences. I've been in church for the last 30 plus years. I've seen it in all kinds of different contexts. I saw it with my seniors when I was doing campus ministry. Uh, I have students that would be you know, with us two, three, four years. By the time they got to the end of that, they started to settle into this, like, I don't, I don't know if I like this. I saw it with leaders when I was, when I was uh, starting a young adult ministry, right? The, the move towards critic. I saw it with people who are part of church planning teams. Uh, I've seen it all over the place. It's not just an age issue. It is a sinful human nature issue. I see it in my own heart. It's in there. It's in. It's in my own self. The longer you are in church, the greater the danger of becoming a critic. Now, I want to be really clear and very careful about how I say this. Okay. The point here of this warning is not to silence people. Here at Discovery, we want feedback. We love dialogue. We believe there's a lot of of good things, a lot of health, even from from uh, good disagreements and conversations where maybe we don't understand where the other person is coming from. The church, our church should be a good place to have that kind of back and forth. So this is not so much about, you know, criticism of discovery per se, or whatever. I'm much more concerned with the state of your heart again, especially for those of us who have been in the church for a while, the longer you are in the greater, the danger of becoming a critic. And I think this is one of the reasons why Jesus says things like, you need to become like a child to enter the kingdom. The antidote to a critical spirit, to cynicism, is a childlike posture of awe and wonder. You see, growth, the longer you are in church, growth should be towards uh, contribution and creativity, towards love and joy and peace Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. The longer you're in church, the more you should be like that. And the growth should be away from cynicism and criticism and anger and discord. The move should be from critic to creator. So again, for those of us who have been in church for a while, there is this danger. We can drift, if we're not careful, into this very reflexive position of critics. So back to the story. Peter gets some criticism, but then he gives the context, right? He tells them about the vision that he had this, this sheet from heaven full of reptiles and animals, right? We called it Peter's holy sheet moment last week, a bit tongue in cheek there. But he talks about it and, and how crazy it was and, and how he, he did not want to respond positively to this. But this voice kept telling him uh, to, to kill and eat and, and not to declare unclean what God has declared. Clean And then he talks about how the Spirit leads him to this guy, Cornelius. And how Cornelius and his household respond to the good news, receive the Spirit, and were baptized. And he goes through the whole thing in great detail. This is verses 4 through 18. And then the response of the critics is what? What do they do? Do they get into a big fight about how to interpret Scripture and how Peter should... Uh, uh, forget about the Gentiles and just preach the gospel about how the, the church is going soft and not taking a stand against this terrible pagan culture. Oh, a slippery slope there, Peter. you got to be careful. No. No. What do they do? By the way, you can tell some of the stuff I'm working on there, right? <laughs> this is not how it goes. Acts 11, verse 18. When they heard Peter, they had no further objections. And they praised God, saying, So, Even to the Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Whoa! (laughs) This is one of the biggest miracles in all. Of Acts. Yes, people are healed, people get out of jail, there's earthquakes, the ground moves, God's Spirit descends on people, different languages are being understood, all this crazy stuff happens. This to me, one of the biggest miracles in all of Acts. This big controversial moment, the move, right, from Jew to Gentile, the inclusion of, of people who were considered unclean, and the responses. That's great. Praise God. No more objections. Even to the Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. When churches make big decisions, big decisions that are grounded in the mission, and they clearly explain why they're making that decision, and people go, that's awesome. Praise God. That is a miracle. And I want to take a moment here to heap a bit of praise on our community, Discovery. In June, we walked through our our kind of big decision, right? To include women at every level of leadership here at Discovery, and specifically the role of elder, which can be, and we talked a lot about this, which can be interpreted as reserved only for men. We believe that this is a secondary issue. Different people can have different convictions on this, but for us at Discovery, to pursue the mission that God has given us, women should be included at every level of leadership some people disagree with this and there are a few people that have moved on from our church the number actually is so small that i don't even want to say it because i feel like it would, it would make it too conspicuous <laughs> the overwhelming majority of our community though responded in this acts 11:18 18 way praise god this is great this is going to help the mission move forward And again, that is miraculous. The Spirit has led us through a moment of navigating these tensions of diversity and unity, and that is so worth celebrating. So that's the first scene. The second scene here, we're introduced to the church at Antioch. And we're going to see this church a couple more times in our journey through Acts. So I just want to give a a few brief mentions of things that we see here at this point at the, uh, the second half of chapter 11. So first of all, this church is established because of the persecution and the scattering that took place a few chapters back when Stephen was killed. A lot of different threads of the Acts story come together in this place, this place called Antioch, even in the midst of some of the most unfortunate circumstances we've seen so far in the Acts story. We see God redeeming all of that in order to move the mission forward. So the church is born out of persecution and scattering, but second, this is where the church is first referred to as Christians. Look at verse 26. So as we've made our way through the story, we've seen Luke kind of grasping for different names, the way, the disciples, the, the gathering. Here, they are first referred to as Christians. In this community, Jew and Gentile coming Together to form a new church. Third, this is where we see Saul re-enter the picture. Uh, Saul, who we saw at the stoning of Stephen, and then of course his big conversion moment in chapter 9. Here he re-enters the story, and we're going to see a lot of him as we move forward. But he, this is really the first church that he invests a lot of time and energy into. And then finally, the fruit of that investment is this incredible moment of generosity where this mixed congregation of Jew and Gentile are able to bless Jewish Judean Christians during a time of famine. So again, diversity, unity, the good news spreading, and yet we still see the connection, right, the care for one another that was so characteristic of the Jerusalem church back in chapter 2 is maintained even as the church multiplies and grows towards the ends of the earth. Now, into chapter 12, the third scene, King Herod, who is not a good guy at all, he begins to persecute the church. He kills some of the leadership. He throws some other leaders in jail, including our old friend Peter. Church rallies around Peter. They they get together and begin to pray. God sends an angel, and the angel uh, lets Peter out of the jail. It's so unbelievable, in fact, that Peter himself thinks that he's just having a weird dream. Peter, we see here, again, a little slow to... Uh, get what's going on in the moment. Uh, But he gets out of jail. He realizes, wow, this is not a dream. I'm really out. And then he goes to the home where all these people are praying for him. He knocks on the door. This is one of my favorite scenes in the Bible. Peter knocks on the door. This sweet girl named Rhoda opens the door, looks at Peter, goes, oh great, Peter's out of prison, closes the door in his face, and then runs back into the house to tell everybody. Peter's stuck outside wondering if anybody's going to let him in. Now, to make a long story short, the church obviously very encouraged in the midst of these difficult circumstances, very encouraged that Peter is let out. And then the final scene here is the demise of Herod. Herod, we're told, is prideful. He will not acknowledge God. And so God strikes him down and he gets eaten by worms. Not a good way to go. So a gnarly story, but this this. Stark juxtaposition, again, much, much like earlier when we saw Ananias and Sapphira, Acts chapter 5, right? This contrast between the, the church, the ecclesia, which is so submissive to the leadership of the Holy Spirit, and then Herod, so prideful, so unwilling to give any praise or glory to God. Now, four very different scenes. And the question is, okay, so how does this all come together? What do we make of this? And the Lord of the Rings, the great Samwise Gamgee, asks the great theological question, I wonder what sort of tale we've fallen into. I wonder what sort of tale we've fallen into. This is the exact right question for the ecclesia and for us to be asking. Now, these four scenes, I think, reflect in very real ways, how most of life unfolds. There's obviously uh, amazing, miraculous things going on here, right? Angels rescuing Peter from prison, the Gentiles included. The church is in agreement. The joy of, of Rhoda when she sees her old friend Peter. But there's also these sad, tragic, inexplicable things. Persecutions and famines and people getting thrown in jail and people being killed for their faith in Jesus. But this is what life is. Right? This mix of the beautiful and the miraculous. People being transformed, people growing, people being healed, people getting baptized, people getting married and having babies and starting new jobs, wonderful things to celebrate, but then at the same time, right? The the mess, the tragedy of Of life. Our state is on fire. Afghanistan and Haiti are in the midst of terrible humanitarian crises. Our country is divided. Churches and ministries are falling apart all around us. How do we navigate all of the beauty and the tragedy? What kind of story are we actually in here? Well first I think we need to celebrate the good. We need to celebrate the good, especially the Spirit moving the mission forward to the Gentiles, to Antioch, to the ends of the earth, throughout our city here in Davis. When God shows up in a very clear way, we call these moments wins here at Discovery. When we see these wins, it's not about how awesome we are and all the things that we are doing. It is about the Spirit at work building the church. We have to celebrate the good. And to be paying attention, have the eyes to see where God is at work, and when we see it, we celebrate it. So we celebrate, and then second, we stay grounded in all the ups and downs of life. We stay grounded through relationships. One of the tragedies of our moment has been how easy it is for for folks to drift off or disconnect. To go looking for something better over there, or, or just to stop being involved but all through these four scenes we looked at today we see the strength of the relationships of the ecclesia they were in this thing together even if they were physically apart even if some of their people were in jail they were in this thing together what kind of story were they in they were in an adventure with friends so we celebrate when we see God at work and then we stay connected to each other in real, authentic relationship. And then finally, we navigate the mystery of this messy world by maintaining a generous posture. There's generosity all over the stories we looked at today. Again, the joy of Rhoda. The spirit awareness of this guy Agabus in Antioch to say, hey, there's going to be a famine. Let's get some stuff together to take care of people. The faithful investment and encouragement of Saul and Barnabas. In that church in Antioch, the gentle storytelling of Peter, his willingness to face his critics and to explain what had happened. The generosity of the ecclesia, it's all over the scenes that we looked at today. So in response to this, how does this shape our imagination for our moment? We do many of these same things, right? We celebrate the good when we see it. We connect with one another in relationships and we give. We are generous towards the needs in our church and in our city and in our world. Now, if you've you've been following along here, if you've been paying attention, this should sound very familiar. Celebration, connection, relationship, generosity, gatherings, groups, and generosity. This is what we do as a church. The deep involvement in gatherings, groups, and generosity in the ecclesia, but submitting all of this to the Spirit, because it is the Spirit who builds the church. And it's in the mystery of how all of that works together that we discover the answer to that question, what kind of story are we in? Even in a crazy, crazy world, the story that we are in is a creative, generative, beautiful story of the kingdom of God emerging in the midst of our broken world. It is the story of the kingdom of God emerging in the midst of our broken world. Look at... Chapter 11 again, verse 23. The example of Barnabas. Again, so many great moments in each of these scenes. Don't miss the example of Barnabas, who shows up at this church in Antioch and goes, Wow, look at the grace of God at work in this place. I'm sure there is plenty of stuff to be discouraged by, but when Barnabas shows up, he sees nothing but grace. And he immediately begins to pour into this church encouragement, encouragement, encouragement. Saying, hey, look at what God has done. Remain true. Stay faithful to the Lord with all your hearts. But you have the eyes to see where God is at work. May you celebrate it when you see it. May you stay connected in relationship, encouraging one another, following the example of Barnabas. And may we be generous in our response to the needs that we see around us here in our context, but also in our larger world in this moment. Let's pray. Father, we, uh, again, it can be very easy to be overwhelmed as we scroll through our phone, as we turn on the TV, watch the news, we just see what's going on even when we look up at the sky. Very easy to be discouraged by what's happening in our world right now. And so we are grateful for the reminder of what is actually true what is actually true about the universe that we inhabit, that through Jesus all things are held together. That He is in everything, working in everything to make it new. Father, thank You for these these stories that we see today that again remind us that shape our imaginations for what our community here in Davis can look like. The The importance of gathering to celebrate what you are doing. Having the eyes to see and point out, oh yeah, God is at work in this place. Look at the grace. The the, uh, reminder of the importance of being connected in relationship. The way that that forms our our imaginations and dreams. What could this community look like? How can we care for, for people better? How can we care for more people? And then through all the craziness, the example of generosity. So many different examples of of that generous posture in these scenes. May our community be generous in similar ways. Speaking life, speaking encouragement, giving sacrificially. So that people can know the good news of Jesus. God, may these stories continue to inform us, inspire us, shape our imaginations so that we can see more clearly what you are doing right in our midst. And again, like Barnabas, give us the eyes to see, look at the grace in this place. We pray all this today in Jesus' name, amen. As we prepare for communion, I want to read this passage from Colossians 1 that Referenced a few times in the teaching today. Colossians 1, verses 15 through verse 20. The Son, this is Saul, Paul, writing about Jesus. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus, is one of the things Paul says here. For in him all things were created. "...things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the ecclesia. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything He might have supremacy." For God was pleased to have all His fullness dwell in Him and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through His blood shed on the cross. As we were reading through that, I hope you heard it. What is Jesus supreme over? All things. What does Jesus hold together? All things. As we come to the table today, we bring all things to the table. All the things that we are going through, processing, thinking globally, and even into the like minutia of our lives, we can bring it all to Jesus because He is supreme over all of it. He holds all of it together. He is redeeming and reconciling, as it says, all things. And we know this to be true because of what He did for us on the cross, what He did for us in His resurrection, both of which Paul speaks to in this passage, right? That His blood, His body broken for us has taken care of it. Has taken care of our sin and our separation from God, has made it possible for us to be in right relationship with God, right relationship with each other, has made it possible for the kingdom of God to be real, in our lives, in our cities, in our world, even though it looks like it might all be falling apart, all things are held together by Jesus. and He is reconciling all things. So as we come to the table today, bring it all. Remembering that this is what is true about the world that we live in, about the story that we find ourselves in. When you are ready this morning, take, your, take whatever elements you have with you that represent the body and blood of Jesus. Take those in remembrance of what He has done for us. Well, thanks again for tuning in to the digital gathering this morning. May you take what we've been thinking about today, what we've been sitting in, what God has spoken to with you into the rest of your day, the rest of your week, taking the good news of Jesus with you as a gift to our world that desperately needs good news. Let us go out with these words. Now, may the God of peace who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep. May the God of peace equip you with everything good. Everything good for doing His will. And may He work in us what is pleasing to Him,
1: through Jesus
0: Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Grace and peace.